0: Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahery. And the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Palouse Federated Church in Palouse, Washington. We are glad you joined us for this podcast. And we hope that that this will bless you.
1: We are going to be in the tiny book of Jude in the New Testament. It's easy enough to find. Uh, The book of Jude is right next door to the book of Revelation, so go to the last book of the Bible, if you have your Bibles there, or you can use a device, of course, but uh, Revelation, and then turn left, and you, if you don't turn too far, you will bump into the book of Jude, the tiny letter from Jude, and we'll be going through uh, this book in this month, Um, well, I mean, can you come on down and fix an assisted listening system issue? Okay, thanks. Uh, And we're going to be going through the letter of Jude. It's just a short little book. You can read it multiple times in this month, and I encourage you to do so Uh, in this month. It's just, in some Bibles, one page, maybe a couple or three pages. Uh, For today's message, we'll do verses 1 through 7. If you want to use an outline here for your benefit, it's there. And, yeah, there it is. Uh, We have an image of fog on the screen and in some of our backgrounds because we're really going to be talking about getting through the fog with, with the light. And the truth is, you can go ahead and go back to that uh, Lighthouse screen there. Uh, you know, we, it, it, with fog, we need vision. That's why Lighthouse exists, to let people uh, see what is coming. And we need vision to see what is happening and what is coming in our world. We live in, I would say, a spiritually foggy world. Maybe that's a, too friendly of a way to describe it. It is spiritually foggy, and the light is available, and the light is very real, but the fog is real, too, and it's pretty dense, right? And so that's why we're coming to this brief book of the Bible, Jude. It's clarifying, and I believe God is going to speak through the book and our month together uh, Bible studies and you reading Jude at home and hearing messages here and maybe doing the, the Bible app reading plan that many of us are doing together. And this will help us improve our vision individually but, uh, individually, but what I'm praying is corporately as a group, as a church, to help us see more clearly who God says we are and what he is calling us to be and to do in these foggy times we live in. Let's, let's pray as we begin this journey. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you are truly our our rock and our redeemer. You are our true light that gets us through the storms, that helps us see the way forward. So Lord, may we seek your light above all else. Lord, may your light be what guides our path and may Your light through your son, Jesus Christ, be what guides this local church and gives us your vision to see where you're sending us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The little book of Jude, the first seven verses. Here we go. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. It's going to be our main focus verse today, verse, the end of verse three. Verse four. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding series, or cities excuse me, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Well, thanks be to God for his word. We are going to uh, be hearing more from Jude as we go but the, the goal for this series is to, to come out of the fog and to get clear clear vision from God, and I want to share with you one of my pet peeves uh, on a deeply foggy day uh, when I am driving a bus. Uh, Fog is not our friend on the roads, as we all know, and one of my pet peeves is when you're driving along, particularly, you you know, one of those days where you can barely see the edges of the road, let alone that far in front of you, and, uh, you know, so I think there's a slide uh, that, that, that shows, you know, that sometimes you just can't see those cars. And, and, and some people think, well, uh, you know, turning on my headlights doesn't get rid of the fog. True. But then other people can't see you. They can't see your taillights because your headlights aren't on. And maybe because you trust in your automatic lights so much and you don't realize that some of them aren't geared for fog settings. And then people can't see you early enough when, they're, when you're coming at them. Did you see one of these cars that's maybe hard to see? Did you see that one? There's a car there. Many times what we call Redmond Flats, it's not that flat, but anyway, uh, sometimes I am coming, you know, highway speed on a two-lane highway in a bus, and then I don't see a car until it's 20 yards from me because it was a white car or gray car, and they got no headlights on. And I have really good vision. I do. I'm not breaking, but I do. Okay. Uh, that, that shouldn't be, right? That's one of my pet peeves. It's dangerous, right? I don't need the light. I know where I'm going, right? People can just get out of my way or something,
0: right?
1: And I, I've heard a lot of people say we're coming out of a fog because of the last few years and, you know, 2020 and COVID and All that stuff. But I I think it's a little bit deeper and longer than that, my friends. It's something that's been going on a while in our culture. Uh, There's a fog uh, of selfishness and self-centeredness that's been going on for a while. And it's not the kids of today's problem. They're really just a a product of generations of, of this fog that's been developing. That maybe even the church, in a way, is allowing to happen or contributing to. Uh, and, and, and so I think the church has always needed times of renewal because the world gets foggy at times and the church is supposed to be the light to the world and sometimes we, we turn off our lights and just let the fog come into the church. And so what we've seen in church history is times of renewals and recentering on Christ, times of what we could call reforming and, and allowing God to clarify, oh yeah, that's who God is and that's the way forward and that's who we're supposed to be. So, for example, I was listening to uh, the Kerry Newhall podcast this week, and you know, a lot of people are focusing on how many people have stopped worshiping in churches in the last three, four years. And he had a researcher on that said, actually, the bigger trend is decades. The churches are being getting depopulated. There are more bigger churches than ever, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. So there are some, but there, the the midsize and smaller churches uh, of different stripes are getting depopulated over these last few decades. And not just that, but as these people don't worship regularly, and don't feel the desire to worship regularly, they're also not raising their, their, their children with that vision in their home of being a person of faith. And they're also not then taking their, their faith in a holistic and humble way uh, into their, their values and ethics into the culture. And we're seeing the effects of that. And increasingly, therefore, Younger people are, are, are very likely to have no faith at all and they'll check that box, none of the above on the census, right? But I want to be clear, it did not start with them and, you know, people under 25. They're a result of decades of people moving away from God. We, we have a fog now in our culture that we could call moral relativism. And this idea goes back decades and decades. We talked about it in some of the Bible studies this week of, of thinkers who were first in the, you know, in the academy or, 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 you know, or also sometimes in the church but of just saying that, oh, truth is relative. You make up your own meaning and truth. Or, you know, it's just flexible for whatever you need to do. And now we're to the point where you say, I have my facts, you have your facts. Are there real facts? Right? And this moral relativism is, I, I can do what feels good to me, I don't care about how it affects the greater whole, or there is no really greater whole. We're just synapses firing, you know? We just make our own meaning. And people are trying to find their way in the fog that is this life, uh, right? Without the true guiding light that we believe could help them. So the background of Jude and where this connects, let's do some background of Jude, and then I think we will see how Jude's going to help us make some connections. First, who wrote it? Jude is the brother of Jesus, according to early church tradition. His name, his full name is probably Judas, so you tend to not go by that. Uh, it's complicated, right? Right? Um, We knew that Jesus had at least a couple of disciples named Judas, Uh, one was Judas Iscariot. This is obviously not who that is, but Jesus had a little brother named Jude. He was the brother of James, as he says here. Notice he doesn't call himself a brother of Jesus, and we think that is out of humility because it's more important to call Jesus his master. So he says, I'm a servant of Jesus, or doulos there is the Greek word. I'm a slave to Jesus. Yeah, I'm a brother of James. James, the James he's referring to, because there's more than one James in the early church, the James he's referring to is one of the key early leaders of the Christian movement and a brother of Jesus. Very important leader uh, of the early church. And he says, yeah, I'm his brother And as I've shared with some of you before, this is one of the greatest arguments for the reality of the historical Jesus, that he had brothers who believed in him and that the early church testified to that because I am one of five brothers and I would not bow down and call one master unless he resurrected from the dead. Okay. And what we have from early Christian history, including two of the siblings that wrote a book in the Bible, James and Jude, is that Jesus' family Believed he was the son of God and resurrected. How does that happen? I'm sorry, I, did, I would not do that unless it was true. And it was. So who is this for? Uh, perhaps we, at first he wrote it for a specific region, but it was quickly shared as a general letter. Though brief, it had an impact on a wide audience. But as you'll read it, you'll notice it has a distinctive Jewish feel to it. That makes sense. Jude was from a, a Jewish family, obviously, but also likely he assumed his audience knew Jewish stories and background. Case in point, in our scripture already, we hear Sodom and Gomorrah stories, which are from the Old Testament. We hear about the angels, which are, you know, to uh, to Jewish tradition. And then, you know, you hear about being led out of Egypt, the great story of the the people the hebrew people so he assumed that that his audience knows the stories and the hebrew scriptures so it's probably a jewish background author writing to a congregate to congregations or a congregation that he knows probably has that background church folks as we might say in our language people who know the stories still And some of them would have been Jewish by background. Some of them would have been what we call Gentiles who converted to following Christ as the Messiah or Jesus as the Messiah. And and so they become familiar of the Old Testament stories because they believe Jesus fulfills those stories. So that's who it was for. And when was it written? We think it was written around the A.D.'s 60s. It, it's very similar in content and theme and style to the letter we call Second Peter. They say much similarity. And what we know in the A.D. 60s, that early time, is the movement is growing rapidly. It's still very small. It's still a small uh, minority within the, the greater Roman area and northern Africa and, and off into the east. But it is growing and noticeable as a minority. And it's experiencing, therefore, some persecution because these people are strange and peculiar. They worship an invisible God. They don't bow down to the idols in the way we all do. They don't, they, they don't do some of the things that you're supposed to do. They don't attend the temples and do some of the sacrifices to the Roman gods and goddesses. And so they, the, the, these followers of the Christ, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth followers, really bug some people like the Emperor Nero who lived at this time. And he blamed them for stuff. He's like, hey, we're starting to have problems. It was usually his policies and stuff, you know. But he said, it's those, those Nazarenes, right? And so he did things like turn them into human torches, you know, stick them on a pole, wrap them in cloth that was soaked in tar and oil, and then light them up. And he lit some of his parties with that, according to Roman historians. But sometimes they were alive. So that we, we know that it was written around this time and, and, and that Christians were being persecuted. Not everybody was facing that, but, uh, but they were, it was a growing movement. That If you joined it, you were joining it because you believed in it. It was serious and it was real. You, you weren't joining some book of the month club that was easy to join. You were joining a group that, you know, sometimes the Roman emperor lights us up as human torches. And yet it spread. The message spread because it was real and it was changing people's lives and they were becoming encouraged and they knew they had meaning and purpose and they were loved by God, beloved, he calls them, right? Why would you join a movement that could end up in your death? Because the faith of our fathers and mothers before us was real. They knew it was a real relationship with God. So it was written around that time when the persecutions were starting. And why was it written? Well, it was written to encourage followers of Jesus to stay true to the faith, and we're going to talk about that today because that's the main point. He he wanted just to write about positive stuff. He says, "But I have to write to you to contend for the faith, because there's some false teachings that you're falling prey to." And we know that there was always some challenges. Even Jesus in his ministry had people who were trying to co-opt what he was teaching, right? And so, he, he, early Christianity and till today, there's people who will misuse the teaching and. Uh, of Jesus and be disobedient to the ways of living uh, that he has called us to. And, and so it was written to encourage them to stay true to the faith, faith, stay on the narrow road, stay humble, stay serving, loving, and stay to the truth. So in that way, it can help us today because we need to stay true to the true Christian faith. So in a nutshell, we have similar needs as the original audience We have the constant temptation to allow our faith in Christ to be hijacked for other purposes, whether it's to turn uh, our faith in Christ into some sugary, sweet self-help movement, right? Or turn it into some uh, political movement. We are constantly tempted to, to turn it into something that is less than the kingdom of God, the king of kings, the Messiah who changes lives for us to live in his new way now and for eternity, right? So we, we have a, some similar temptations. And it's written because, because it wasn't the bad guys outside the church that were screwing up the church, as some Christians like to think all the time. It was that Christians had allowed and then followed some things that have come into the Christian movement that weren't supposed to be part of God's original vision. You've tolerated some things that have crept in And I need to call you out on those, right? So this brief letter will help us have clarity and focus as God's people of who we are called to be and what we might have, the fog that we maybe have allowed to creep into even the church. And so by looking at Jude's concise message and the the examples that he will bring up from Judaism and from the scriptures, um, I believe we will see a vision for us in our future, uh, informed by the God of ages past, and who he's always been, the God of ages past who knows our present and our future, right, so the problem, the problem then, the problem now, our human issue is quite simply that we don't live under God's plan, did God really say you can't eat from that tree, hmm, right, back to the Garden of Eden, well, maybe he didn't say it so convincingly, so let's give it a go, it looks good to eat, right, Our human issue is that we don't live under God's plan. From way back in Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah, great cities in a sense, but they had developed their own ethic, their own ethic of how you can use the human body and relationships. And they therefore treated visitors to their town very inhospitably and used visitors to their town for their own physical needs and desires, right? They developed their own ethics about their bodies and their relationships and they became people who were just pleasure enjoyers and pleasure producers. Does that sound familiar? My body is a wonderland, as one song says, or your body is a wonderland. I forget the lyric, but it's something like that. It's just, it's not a, your body is made to bow down and worship God. Yeah, can your body feel pleasure? But, of course, but my body is just something for my pleasure. And that's, that is a thought that that we struggle with as a human being, it's so much, our bodies are so much more than that, but we get off the path, and we get misdirected, we get off the narrow path, we get misdirected, we use our our freedom that we have in Christ, but we use it wrongly, and we say, I have freedom to use my body how I want, right, and I'm sure they said something similar in Sodom and Gomorrah, and the angels who were created with freedom, freedom to worship God, God created these beautiful beings to worship him, but he created them with freedom, because He's not a God, though he's authoritative. He doesn't dictate love, because that's not love, right? And so, even the angels, they used their freedom to do what felt good to them. And they fell, and, right? It's not good. And they were guided, those people in Sodom and Gomorrah, or the angels, guided by their selfish passions. And, and that is some of the fog that our world lives in. We have substituted truth for that's revealed from God, the clarity of who we should be and where we should go and how we should act towards one another. We've substituted and said, "The truth now is selfish passion. I know something to be true because I have felt it, or it will make me happy, or it makes me content. I just want my kids to be happy is how it comes out in parenting, one of the dumbest parenting philosophies possible. Right? Who knows what will make them happy? Eating terribly, having abusive relationships that make them happy. You don't, sometimes being a parent, you have to say, I don't want you to be happy in your terms. This is not healthy. You see, Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 10 23. He says it this way two believers who are struggling in Corinth with these worldly type of issues, with the fog of Corinth coming into the church, and he says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up, Paul says. Okay, you got freedom. Christ has set you free, free indeed. And in our land, we have religious freedom. Think how you want, right? But not everything's good for you. And yeah, there's a smorgasbord of things out there that you can do with your body or you can believe things with your mind, but they're not all good for you. And so... The problem is that they can even creep inside the Christian movement, right? The idea is don't stay out there. They can come inside and they can twist our freely forgiven uh, forgiveness of Christ that we have and uh, we can say, as others have said in, uh, wrongly in the past, well, he has forgiven me and I'm a sinner anyway, so what's the big deal if I sin some more, right? And before you know it, we can be tolerating, tolerating or justifying of course, the sin that we do, we always hate the sin out there that we don't struggle with. But before you know it, we're, we're using our freedom just as an excuse, the freedom God gives us as an excuse to do whatever we want as Christians because he's going to forgive us anyway. But Paul says, don't do that. In Galatians 5.1, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Galatians 5.1. And then he says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I don't know a lot of kids who grow up, and I say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a slave, right? I wanna, but what we don't realize is when we use our God-given freedom in Christ but then we don't use it as freedom to fight against temptations in our life, to fight against injustices that we get involved in, to fight against uh, brokenness and unreconciled relationships we have in our life. When we don't use our freedom for what actually builds us up, we will inevitably become slaves to something of our passions that tears us down. And the fog tells us, no, that's not actually true. But it is true. The fog says, well, we're all just sinners. You can't really help it. And even inside the Christian movement, we say that a lot. Instead of saying, but he set us free so that we can fight against sin and temptation, right? It's just the way it is. I'm in a battle. That's just how I am. That's just what I'm like. Yeah, For freedom, he has set you free. Don't fall again into a yoke of slavery. Use the freedom he's given to fight against the problem, not to tolerate it. So we have hope, though, right? It's not just the problem. Let's go to hope. Hope's important. The hope we have, the hope we have is, we can see it even how Jude addresses the, the situation. I, there we go. The hope, uh, the hope is that we are we are his, right? It says that for in Christ we are kept. That's a, a word of security, that, that we are his. Yes, okay, we might let the fog come in. We might get unclear. We might get selfish. But he is going to be faithful. Now, we do not use his faithfulness as an excuse to just keep on living however we want. We use his faithfulness as security to say, oh, thank you, God. Now, help me to strive to live to be a more loving person, a more holy person, a more charitable person, a more forgiving person. Because the scriptures call us, if if we paid attention to what the scriptures call us, this would help us to see our hope. They call us saints. The scriptures call us saints. Set apart people. You're set apart for God's holy purposes. You are made holy. You're as righteous as Jesus Christ when you are forgiven by Christ. That's who you are. And as a saint, which the New Testament calls you, you're set apart. That is hopeful. That means it's not based on, on your past record, right? It's based on who God says you are. Therefore, don't just rest in that and say, well, I'm a saint no matter what, right? But say, I am a saint. So, am I living? That set apart life. In my living, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, where he says, You are a temple of the Spirit. This is radical. This is something the scriptures say about you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. He says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Do you know how radical that was for Paul, a Jewish person? The, the temple wasn't destroyed at this time when he wrote about this. So there's still a physical temple, that place on earth where the, the God's presence was said to meet earth. And be in the temple. And now, Paul is saying, because of Jesus Christ, you've been made so righteous. You're more righteous than the, the chief priest, man. You're, you're righteous uh, because of the chief priest, Jesus Christ. So you're, you, you can have the Holy Spirit in you. And he continues and says, you, have, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have for God. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God. In your body. So, the hope is in who God says we are. That's the vision we have to have. God says the people of Christ are beloved. They're kept secure. They're his set-apart people, right? That he has made righteous. And so we should have security in that. Now, why am I spending time on that? Because our I Identity comes before we have a vision and a mission and a purpose. If you have local groups of Christian and they start saying, oh, we need a vision and a mission and we, we need to just get more people so our local church survives and we, need to, we just need to get out there and, and, and convert those heathen. But you, don't, you aren't humbled by your, who, your identity first and remember what Christ has done for you. Then it will skew how you do vision and mission. So the hope is that God says, great things about us, that we are the body of Christ, that we have the spirit in us, that we have everything we need for godliness, the scriptures say. We have everything we need to serve him. So first, the identity Christ has for you. Rest in that. You're kept in him. You're beloved. You're secure in him. Dismiss the lesser identities. I'm a churchgoer. I'm part of the Christian religion. Dismiss this stuff. I'm a kind of curious person. I go when the sermon seems to suit my interests, right? Dismiss these lesser identities and whatever if you have a lesser one that comes to mind because you are more according to him. You are his people, his body, a living temple. You are set apart. You are a loved servant and slave. You are filled with all spiritual blessings. You are given access to the intercessor, who is Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of who? The saints. And he says, feel free to talk to me. And he also says, and when you're weak, I'll make you strong. That's who you are. Do you believe that about yourself? So Jude just instinctively communicates who we are as he even starts the letter. And then after after that, he has this beautiful prayer in verse two that could be a whole sermon in itself. I want you to just look at verse two and pray over it this week, but we have to move on. It's a beautiful prayer. And then he gets to his main point in verse three, which is contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. And he's appealing to us with strong language. He's saying fight passionately and urgently for the faith that was given once for all. And so the vision is we need to contend for the faith as who we are, right? And that's the main point today, and that's the linchpin for this whole series. Before we can have details or specifics of where God wants us to go or what his vision is for us locally or personally, we must con- can commit to this point, I need to contend for the faith. So let's look at this word contend or that gets translated in the ESV, contend. It is sometimes translated fight. It might be fight in your version, maybe. It's the Greek word agonizo, okay? And it's from which we, in English, we get the word to agonize or agonize. Uh, it is a passionate word. It means to work with passion or effort or urgency. We heard the sense of it today in one of our scripture readings that we would join Christ in his sufferings, you know, and that's interesting, that was a really deep uh, concept for the Christian church, and is throughout the world still today in many places, but I think for a lot of American Christians, are like, yes, let's join Christ in his sufferings, my suffering is when we had to sing that extra verse in church this week, right, or you want me to tithe? Folks, those aren't what they mean by sufferings, Right? But I'm not going to spend this sermon to beat up on us. But I just want you to know, it's a real, it's a real struggling word. Right? Pa, not Paul, it's a writer of Hebrews, but he, he uses the same exact word, this passionate, effort, urgency word. In Hebrews 12, 3 and 4, uh, we hear this word. He says, consider him. He's talking about Jesus. He said, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle, in your agonizo, in your agonizing, in your struggle against those people in the other political party, those people you don't like outside the church. You know, it doesn't say that. It says, in your struggle against sin, you, have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The early church had this crazy idea about humility and holiness. They thought they were intertwined. And they, they thought that they could be most effective in sharing about Jesus and in doing justice out in the world if they took care of home base and took the log out of their own eye. I. I wonder where they got this idea. And, and they thought that humility and holiness and using the freedom that they've given in Christ to fight the struggle in here first and they didn't go out there and fight the struggle out there first. They fought here and they, they wrestled against the powers and principalities that came against their heart first before they ever went out and had a vision for the world. They, they took care of home base first. They worshiped passionately together first. They prayed passionately together first. They confessed their sins to one another, right? They prayed to one another. They, they, they grew first and then as they, they knew they were struggling against sin and they, they were being humbled then God had, could prepare them to go out and be a servant in the world, right? They wrestled with the struggles they had first. That word gets translated elsewhere in the Bible as wrestling. Of course, that's my, uh, one of my heart languages growing up a wrestler, but, you know, Christian faith should have some struggle, some wrestling to it. In here, in here. I don't know, some of you have been wrestlers before or, or some other really physical sport, combat sport. Yeah, the deal was I could train for wrestling for months before and I, I ran cross country in order to get in shape for wrestling. I'd lift weights in the summertime and in, in the fall and then wrestling season would come and I'd want to be in shape and then you'd have a two-hour practice of which a lot of it is wrestling, right? And then you would go to the shower afterwards and you would try to reach your head and you couldn't. Or the next day you would try to scratch your back and you couldn't. And sometimes you would feel a small muscle somewhere in your body and say, I didn't know that I had that muscle. Why is that with wrestling, right? It's because it's a whole body effort and struggle. And that is the word that that gets, that gets communicated here. You're using every bit of your body in this combat against another. And in our faith, have we really struggled to the point of shedding our blood? The author of Hebrews says pretty confidently. No, you haven't, most of you. <laughs> do you really struggle against sin? If, if your faith has, I'm not saying we don't get comfort from our If we do. But the power of being a witness is somebody who, who God struggle, helps us struggle to be humble, to be holy. And when those two are together, they're powerful. So to be a Christ follower, you have to give it your all. But it doesn't always happen. It didn't happen in Jude's time. And many get misled, many get lost in the fog, right? And why does this happen? Well, well Paul said, or not Paul, Jude says why it's happening for his folks, why it moves from a contending faith to a creeping faith, right? There are some people who use Christianity to be a creep, Right? they they creep into the movement and they use the teachings to just ha- you know have a nice life or to to have prosperity or to have you know to just be part of the club or something or to to use it for other purposes political or otherwise right but we don't want our, our faith to creep away from us. We want the contending type faith, the faith where we have the egonidzo, where we struggle for, to, to stay, as Jesus said, on the narrow path, and we don't give in to the wide path, which he said will be tempting for many. He said that, Right? And he said, "So you, this is urgent, it's immediate, it's not optional, this is serious. There isn't two types of Christians. In Christian community, there will be people in our day who are going to do the creep thing, meaning they will choose more of the secular thoughts, the out there thoughts, and that will become what Christianity is. Instead of the ancient ways of Jesus and teachings of Jesus. So a creep inside the movement, if, if you might start recognizing, have I been a creep, which is not a fun thing to do, but I think I have recognized some of this in me, who sometimes we say the same things in the same words, but we don't have the urgency to fight against sin in our own life. Right? We don't practice, we don't like the scriptures like confess to one another, or be ye reconciled to one another. Well, that's for other people. <laughs> We don't pray. We find ourselves not praying passionate prayers for holiness for our own lives and, and 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 just for the for others, for those in pain and those hurting. We find that we just don't fight against the temptations anymore. We just give in to them, whether it's overeating or gossip or lust or or uh, you know just cynicism. Everybody's cynical in our culture. Everybody overeats. Everybody gossip. That's creepy to think like that as a Christian. I'm not trying to teach illegalism here. That's not what I'm doing because that's one of the twisting arguments the devil says. Well, if you do what Pastor Corey says, you're just being a legalist here. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying being so amazed and so humbled by what Jesus Christ has done for you. You want to struggle inside against those areas you know you need to fight against. And when he does that, when he does that, it helps you take the log out of your own eye. You'll see people better. You'll have a vision of how you can serve other people. And you'll relate to other people better in the struggle and you'll be humble as you do it because you really fought your own struggle and he really did help you. And he really provided you strength when you didn't think you'd get through it, whether it was your grief or whether it was a broken relationship, your past, right? And you will therefore become a more authentic witness instead of blaming those people out there for don't, who don't become Christians, maybe it's issues inside the church. And we don't have a lot of people who've wanted to fight the fight, to become an authentic witness, to be used for God's glory. It's really easy to blame the people out there who won't become a Christian, or become a super Calvinist and say, well, they weren't gonna become a Christian anyway because it was just predestined. And then let the devil twist another scripture. Right? I don't need to fast. That was an ancient practice. We know more about nutrition now. I don't need to give sacrificially to the needy or to missions, right? That's other people's business. I don't need to steward God's creation. We're going to get a new planet anyway, right? What kind of attitudes are those? Those are creepy if we really think about them and compare them to the rest of Scripture. Again, I don't know many kids who grow up and say, Pastor Corey, I've thought a lot about it, and I want to be a manipulative stalker when I grow up. But what Jude is saying is that people get in the church and because they listen to the the wrong voice and they don't fight the fight in here with the Spirit's hope, they manipulate or twist or pervert, it says, God's word into just a justification to not fight, to not grow, to stay as they are. But then they will have this growing confidence that they're okay and so one day they'll come to Jesus and say, hey, uh, I saw the ticket I'm getting for eternity, and it says hell on it? You gave me the wrong ticket? And Jesus will say, oh, no, no, I don't know who you are. And then that person with the hell tickets, this is from Matthew 7, by the way, will say, oh, no, 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 remember we did some stuff together. I I even prayed in your name and did a lot of cool stuff, man. Remember? Come on, give me the right ticket. And Jesus will say, I tell you the truth. I do not know you. Get away from me. And you know who you tell to get away from you? Creeps. Stalkers. You know what a stalker is, right? And I'm just saying this, pointing to me and saying, I've been a stalker maybe at times in my Christian faith, especially in my 20s, you know, zeal without wisdom, okay? Where I, You know a lot. A stalker is somebody who knows a lot about another person. Like, right? Maybe your favorite favorite actor or sports person, you know a lot about them, and then they take it the next step, right? I want to go near them. I want to buy something they owned, or I want to find where they live, right? And they get obsessed with that. And there's people inside the faith that the devil has said, you know what? I'm not going to turn off their passion. I'm going to misdirect their passion." where they're passionate about information and they're saying the name of Jesus and they're getting near Jesus, but they aren't actually becoming like him and he hasn't actually entered him, so they have a lot of confidence that they are a follower of Christ, but they don't actually have the changed heart. They're actually just stalking him. I think there's people in the church that are stalking Jesus. I, I, that's not mine to judge who I'm just using Jesus' words and saying he's going to say that, that there, I do not know you. You've been using my name, by the way, saying you're doing things for me, but you never really got humble with me. I tried to show you the, the truth about your sin one time, and you went off to a rally. I tried to reconcile that relationship, but you would have had to admit you part of the wrong, and you wouldn't do it. So I tried and I tried. Yeah, but the person you become, I don't don't know that as one of my followers. The urgency to pursue godliness, holiness, service and witness because it glorifies him, right? There's too much of Christianity that is about self-help or even attending our Bible studies because it just feels good for us. You don't attend Bible studies for yourself. You attend for the glory of God, and yes, he gives it for your good. But you're always thinking, God, how can this reshape and reform me? And you you wanna be somebody like Jude who says, I'm a slave, a doulos for Jesus. So, super fun message today, but anyway, we're, we're rejecting false hopes and false gospels. And the dangerous ones I see in our churches today of course, the ones I harp on all the time, political stuff, right? But actually one that's underneath that, I think for a lot of churches where Jesus is just saying, I'm just gonna depopulate those churches because lives aren't getting changed. And the, those people, I just can't have people go there anymore because they're, they're not becoming witnesses. They're not becoming people who humbly and, uh, uh, seek holiness and seek to be servants and, and seek justice and share good news. So I'm just gonna depopulate those churches. He said he'd do that in Revelation, Right? take away your lampstand and so I think one of the false gospels that's out there is just the nice church the nice church that's just filled with a bunch of stalkers and I'm not saying that's us but I'm saying that's one of the the big ones that the devil loves because if you can get all of the folks to think or the majority of the folks to think we're a pretty nice church and we're pretty friendly Right? then he can keep them from confessing the things that aren't nice in their life. He can keep them from having a deep relationship with at least a couple of the believers in that congregation for what you really struggle with because some of it's not nice. So we have these things. We have the other false gospels of just uh, the, the, the wanting passion The world wants passion, so that's coming to the church. We want passion. We want a pretty version of ourselves, a passionate, feeling good version of church or a feeling good version of ourselves without the actual real meaning of passion, which is suffering for that which is good. We want want our passions fulfilled. That's a false gospel, whether it's love is love and I do whatever's best for me, I make my own truth, and inside the church, there's versions of that as well. I want to tell you God does want you to be happy, but he wants you truly happy. And that's a deeper happiness than the, the passions and the pleasures of just our flesh. The, the happiness that God talks about is called obedience with godliness. Two words that probably aren't gonna make people's top 10 today, even inside the church. But God knows that great contentment comes when you are truly obedient to his truth and his ways of living and his ways of loving and you pursue godliness. Not to be holier than thou, but because you're humbled and you're using your freedom to fight the struggle inside. So, some will say, that's old-fashioned Christianity he's talking about. Uh-huh. That's the point. Okay. Seek Godliness. Be humbled, the son of God himself died for you, right? Who are we to use this precious gift of life for something less than a humble pursuit of holiness and passionate living for him? So what can this look like? Let's get the creepy thing off the screen, yeah. What can this look like besides suffering long sermons? Uh, What can this look like? It looks like intention and passion, intention and passion that daily we see our lives as surrender, waking up and daily recognizing this is a day that I can serve God. There may be something I don't like to do. There may be an idea or an issue in me that I don't like, and I will need to deal with it. It looks like Learning, as we do in Bible studies, which is great, but to learn and become deeply learning people, growing people who learn about the word, but also let the word ask questions of us so that we can become more obedient to the, to the truths of Jesus and see where we fall off the way, where we can become more obedient to what we call boundaries, that some things are just not good for us and they should stay out of our lives and our relationships some things we shouldn't see and watch. Some things we shouldn't participate in. I, I really like boundaries. That's another bus thing I learned this week is Wa Ming's bus hurtled at me at highway speed and I hurtled towards him at highway speed. You know what Wa Ming did to me? Well, oh, your bus did it, Wa Ming. He threw a big old rock at my windshield. The tire did. And it came fast. And it hit hard. And I said, thanks be to God for the boundary called the windshield. Right. Because there are things that come at you that are not your fault. That you can't see coming. That frankly you can't stop unless you had a boundary beforehand. Unless you had fought the fight. And said, I just don't do that. I don't I don't cross that line. I don't, you know, I don't build a windshield out of jello, which would be a really weird thing, right? And that's what a lot of the fog is in our church, is just wishy washy. Right? We need healthy boundaries. What, what is good for me and my house? And that comes again from that humble holiness. Jesus said in his, some of his last marching orders, Matthew 28, teach them to obey. And if you're gonna be a student, you have to be humble. If you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, you have to obey. And you have to therefore obey his teachings to care wholly for your whole life, And then, you have to care for others' whole lives as well, their physical, emotional, mental, spiritual needs. And guess what? It's right there in the scriptures. The one another's, they're called. So in order to to obey Jesus, I need to confess my sins one to another. I need to forgive one another. I need to reconcile with one another. I need to pray for one another. I need to worship with one another and actually care about it. I need to take care of my body, because he says so and it will glorify him. I need to take care of my home and home relationships. I need to take care of the bigger home, the earth, because it's his and the fullness thereof is and he wants us to be good stewards. I need to be a witness, because he said your life is to be a witness. I need to pursue community vibrancy even when it's difficult and even when there's division out there, because we're supposed to be lights in the communities we live in. I need to be a steward of the resources and a servant because he told me I need to obey. I need to strive in order to do any of this. I don't know about you, but I have not reached anywhere near perfection in any of those I just mentioned. In fact, in my life, the fog can be pretty sick and I'd rather turn off the headlights sometimes to not see what is creeping in on me. But I can't. Can't do that. Right? So, we need this message, and we need his help. And we can rest again in that we are his beloved. Whatever anxiety comes up because you think of doing some of these things in your faith that you haven't done before and you'd say, that would be a real struggle, quickly say to that thought, amen, and that's the point. If my faith does not have an egonidzo in it, a struggle in it, then what kind of faith do I actually have? Oh, Lord God, I pray that you would Help us to rest in what you had said there, that we are beloved, that we are kept in you, and that our security is in you. I pray also that you would humble us, that we would start this vision series, Lord, with with a sense that we are your servants. We exist to glorify you forever, and in that we will find our enjoyment and our deepest contentment. Help us, oh Lord. In this month-long journey, for any of those who (laughs) choose to continue, to rest in our identity of you, and then by your Spirit, help us to, to fight the fight, the good fight so that we can be servants who glorify you with our whole lives. And so that somehow, Lord, you could use us to shine your light through the fog, the dangerous fog that is this world, that others may see and turn to you and give you glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We do have some... Next steps. I think the first one's pretty obvious which side you want to be on. You don't want to say at the end of your life with your last breath, I could have been a contender. Okay, maybe you couldn't hear me, but uh, I could have been a contender. You don't want to say that. You want to be a contender starting now. And maybe that means striving, that as we go through this series, we would have a, a God-sized vision for who God wants us to be. So that God, we would start to have stories in our life where we would say, you know, I would not have done that. I am not able to do that. It was only God who did that in my life. And I'm praying, and we'll hear more about those only God stories as we go through this series, but we praying for God-sized vision and a story through your life where you say, it was God. It wasn't me. Only God could do that.
0: Hello, friends. I truly pray that this message blessed you. And if you want to find out more about our ministries or listen to other messages or videos of our worship services, you can check us out at palousechurch.org or search for Palouse Church on YouTube or check us out on Facebook or we are on uh, the Bible app. There's different ways to find us. You can always email me, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, at palousechurch.org to connect with me or to send me a prayer request. We really appreciate you connecting with us in this way, and may God bless your day.